You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. We're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We are just about ready for pitchers and catchers to report. In fact, by the time you are hearing or seeing this, they should have reported because we are recording on Wednesday afternoon and it'll probably be put up on that day. So baseball is back in some form at spring training. So uh, this is our first almost, almost into the uh, preseason uh, sharing Socks episode, and we should have a little fun with it. Uh, I'm Lee Allen, the uh, Southside Socks duty geezer, and with me, West Coast correspondent, my son, Will, who is out in sunshine, which uh, we do not have in Chicago, and warmth, which we really don't have in Chicago right at the moment. Uh, I want to, before we talk about players, and, and the projections are out, Dakota came out a, a few days ago, uh, which is sort of the 538 of Projections, I guess they, they combine a whole bunch of them um, and come up with some interesting numbers. And if you are listening, you won't see behind Will's head uh, in the video are the projections from Cook Boat from Dakota from 2005 and 2008, which are really a lot of fun to play with. Um, but let's talk first about the ball. Go Major ahead. <laughs> Major League Baseball says they have adjusted the ball. Yes, um, they, they say that. <laughs> they never, never, never juiced it, but they've taken a little juice out. I, I think that's like a no-low contender plea. <laughs> yeah. Part. Also, and, yeah. I don't believe for a second <laughs> that they've <laughs> they actually any done anything substantial to the ball. I mean, maybe they, maybe they have. Um, what they do, they made it a little heavier 
a little lighter. A little lighter. Which okay. is interesting because I, I have and I, I, I downloaded and everything in case I wanted to use it at some point for an article. Um, graduate students somewhere did a study with college using college pitchers that showed that a heavier ball cut down on pitch speed. So and we were talking as this is like eighths of ounces and whatnot. Uh, so a lighter ball may make for higher pitch speeds, which you don't want. I mean, when you're uh, talking about that distance of 60 feet, six inches, and the type of velocity you're talking about, it will make for higher pitch speeds. You know, um, maybe maybe yeah. one mile an hour, but it's still, that's, still higher. That's a lot when you're in a league where a lot of guys are throwing 98, 99, 100. Let's let's divert from the ball throwing, because one thing I love about the 98, 99, 100, I, mean, I don't think we've ever brought up, um, with Garrett Crochet. When, when he was throwing 100, 100, 102. And um, the, the, on TV here, I don't know what, what feed you were watching out in Los Angeles, but but locally here, uh, they send up this thing with Joe that of the 100 mile per hour plus pitches in Major League Baseball this year, Garrett Crochet in an inning in the third is throwing 80% of them. Um, whatever. I mean, that's an exaggeration, but it's not a big exaggeration. He actually had thrown the majority of a hundred plus mile an hour pitches in his very few innings of work. Then we got to the postseason, and every single reliever was throwing at least a couple hundred mile an hour pitches. So the question is just because you can throw a hundred, should you be? I mean, obviously, these guys, you know, they've got more adrenaline pumping in the playoffs. Adrenaline is going to be the, the big But thing. is it, are you putting too much strain on your arm to go that extra one or two miles an hour that yes. this kind of slider? <laughs> you don't, yeah, you don't yes. really, should you be saving it? Honestly, anytime you're throwing 100 miles an hour, you're putting too much strain on your arm. But especially mm-hmm. if your average is you know, down in the 95, 96 range. If you're hitting 100, you better only be signed up to throw a couple pitches because that that is a huge strain increase. And it's all, almost entirely because of adrenaline. Um, and you can see there's some interesting articles written on, on fastest fastball versus average fastball. And when guys really rear back in the situations to throw, and almost always it is not helpful. Um, to to try to just throw it harder. It's almost never helpful. It's all about spin and location. Um, but yeah, there's actually a great video I watched this morning, if you can find it uh, to, to the listeners, um, that shows every 100-mile-an-hour fastball from this past season thrown directly down the middle. Um, and nobody does anything with any of them. So, so it is still a very powerful weapon. And of course the first half of it is crochet. Um, And he's got a lot where he is just throwing 102, 101 directly down the middle of the plate and guys are not even close. So I do understand there are a couple, I think there's also moves though. I mean, it's it's not a flat 100. Right. Yeah. I mean, all the guys that they were showing, throw a a very nice hundred mile an hour pitch. Uh, But it was really fascinating to see like they, they did not have to locate the, the hundred and 101 pitches. They just sent them straight down the barrel 
The best one I saw uh, was someone hit one off dust in May in LA and Mookie Betts caught it, you know, 20 feet in front of the wall or something like that. That was, that was the hardest hit ball, but no homers uh, on, on hundred mile an hour balls thrown directly down the middle. Interesting. Now the thing, and now, okay, back to the ball itself. They theoretically have dejuiced the core just enough that the equivalent is supposed to be if they raised the walls everywhere, and I'm going to guess that they're right. not including left field in, in Fenway Park, uh, that if they raise the walls five feet, um, if that's true, there are quite a few homers that would be taken away and be turned into either really nice catches or more likely doubles, which means we get more people running around the bases and more things happening and more baseball than just the, the strikeout or homer. I mean, maybe. if it's true, it definitely is a huge improvement on the game, um, especially for us White Sox fans when you're talking about putting Adam Engel and Luis Robert in the outfield pretty much every day. Um, you know, we're going to have one of them, hopefully Robert every day, Um for the whole season. And you're talking about if you're, if it does do what they're saying, you're talking about having a guy who is going to stop a lot of extra base hits with his speed. It's going to just make him even more exciting to watch. Um, It makes the whole game more exciting. Yeah. Yeah. But I think in addition to opening up more doubles and home runs and stuff like that, it also allows your outfielders to, really get to play the position a little bit more. I mean, it, it became to a point the, these last couple of years, especially where almost every ball hit over an outfielder's head. They didn't even have to run for because it was just gone. Yeah, um, just turn around and look. Yeah. yeah. Playing outfield, going backwards. It's, it's very few. And that's why it was so exciting when it did happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully this is true and this is how they've changed the ball. I, I don't anticipate a world where we're going to see any sort of major drop in home runs. These guys are just too strong and the ball, as we said, you know, likely will be coming in even a little faster, uh, which of course just leads to higher exit velocities. Um, And now that the game is all about launch angle, I don't, I don't know how much, you know, de-juicing that little is going to do it, but if it is legitimately the same as putting up five feet, you're, we would lose a lot of home runs that we had last year and the ones that we, that should not have been home runs. And the more of those you lose, the less emphasis it will be on launch angle for the non-slugger people. Yeah. Uh, And that in turn gets more baseballs into the field, more balls in play and a more, and a more exciting game. Uh, I certainly hope that that is the case. Other things major league baseball has done, uh, no DH in the National League. They kept the rules we hate and ditched the ones we love. <laughs> <laughs> Seven inning doubleheaders. I know you hate those. I don't hate those. I don't think they'll, and, unless there's a big COVID problem, which there should be less of than last season. There shouldn't be many doubleheaders. This isn't something right, that should come right. up with any regularity. That's why um, ultimately I'm cool with it, because they're all essentially going to be emergencies. You know they're they're going to be scheduling emergency doubleheaders. Yeah, they, not... they haven't scheduled regular doubleheaders for for decades. Other since right. they figured out, oh, hold it, we could sell two tickets instead of one. Yeah. 
there's more money there. <laughs> uh, but uh, that one I don't hate at all. The extra inning one I don't like. The starting with the guy on second base in the in the tenth inning. I just I'm sorry. I I don't think you have to be an old man or a total baseball purist or whatever to think that that's just goofy. Also, there's just something stupid about this idea that extra innings is what makes baseball too long. I mean, it's it's one, it's not that common to begin with, and two, the the really long extra inning games. I mean, it's it's one or two a season. It's it's well, so well, me, few. And, and let me launch this. This is old man telling story. This goes back. I looked it up today, July nineteenth, nineteen fifty five. I was eight years old. And your Uncle Houston, my Uncle Houston, uh, we were living next door to them then in southwestern Pennsylvania. And he took his daughters and me and another cousin to a Pirates game against the Braves. And it was a, like a two-hour drive up there on a weeknight. It was summer, so we were out of school, but he was working. The game went 19 innings. It's one of the most famous games ever, certainly in pirate history, because Vernon Law pitched 18 innings. And in 18 innings, gave up one run, a home run to Eddie Matthews in the fourth. So I got to see a future Hall of Famer get yeah. one of those 512, I think, <laughs> home runs. Um, the game had a triple play. I mean, it, it was an unbelievable game. And then in the 19th, the top of the 19th, the, the uh, Braves scored when uh, the throw from left field on a sacrifice fly broke the catcher's arm. That's so Frank Thomas. That's the different Frank Thomas, right? Yes. And that was with, on the mound, was Bob Fred, who incidentally is a very distant cousin of yours and mine. Right. Very distant. But he was there. He came in. He was a starting pitcher. In fact, a starting pitcher who led the league in ERA that year, gave up the run. In the bottom of the 19th, the Pirates scored two to win it, uh, and and Fred ends up with the victory. But I mention all this because I remember this game. There are very few games, just middle of the season games in my whole life that I can remember. But going to one that was 19 innings, the 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 curfew in Pittsburgh was that you couldn't start an inning after 1 a.m. and the 19th started at 12:55. Wow! <laughs> and then of course we all fell asleep in the car going home, but. You remember these things. They're special. Yeah, There's... I mean, our uh, our frequent guest, Eric Laughlin, he was at the Cubs-Yankees 18-inning game a couple years ago. And that's the game you tell everyone about. That's the game you, you talk about. I get that a, a 3-2, to 14-inning game maybe isn't that. No, that still sounds awesome to me. So I don't actually understand this whole extra innings are the problem. I mean – I'm from a mindset, and I think a lot of people are, that if you get to the 10th inning, you didn't pay for that. This is free from here on out. So Now, I realize for some people, uh, and I am not included because I'm not a beer consumer, but for some people, the fact that beer sales cut off in the 7th (laughs) makes makes the extra innings pretty miserable in the stands, but live with it, guys. (laughs) Hey, I'm I'm cool with the rule of – if you make it to the 10th, everyone can get two more beers. <laughs> yeah. I think that's fair. 
I think that's fair. That's, that's certainly better than putting a guy on second. <laughs> yeah, way better. Way better. And they'll be so drunk, they'll think there's a guy on second anyway. <laughs> All um, right. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we will uh, we will come back and, and talk projections. Is that the plan? Yeah. All right, cool. We'll be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, let's get into some projections. As uh, the geezer mentioned before, behind me, I've got the 2005 Pocota and the uh, 2008. The 2005, I believe, is actually Nate Silver. Uh, the 2008 is, is someone else. But, uh, yeah, what do, you, what do you got on projections? So, and you're, you're, his show, the White Sox, saying an under 500 third-place team in 2005, which was not a particularly good call, and under 500 by quite a bit in uh, 2008. Dakota is showing... Uh, not just under five. They, they straight up trashed the 2008 <laughs> White Sox in this projection. They're well under 500, and they say that since last year they nailed the White Sox projection of them being terrible, they will also be terrible this year. Uh, and this these projections do account for theoretically for injuries. Um, but yeah, we'll talk more about that as we talk about 2021. Um, so the, the projection is for the white, where the White Sox are concerned. And this is a projection of projections that Dakota does. Puts a whole bunch of them together and the range is huge. I think there are White Sox predictions anywhere from 62 to 102 wins, something like that. But the average came out to, to 83.79 and third place in the division, the very, very, very horrible division uh, behind not just Minnesota, which isn't a terrible call to understand, easy to understand, but also Cleveland, which is hard to understand when they sold off most of their offense and uh, some of their pitching. I mean, uh, most of their pitching. <laughs> it's very strange, this projection of behind Cleveland. I mean, as a as an eternal pessimist, of course, I think it could happen. But I think the reality of the situation is we should not be projected to finish behind the Cleveland Indians this year. I mean, it is true that the Indians are incredible at developing young pitching. And they have a lot of young pitching. But... Still, <laughs> I mean, you got one guy in the offense. You can pitch around him. I think every time Ramirez comes up, you just – if Tony LaRusa knows anything that he has learned about the new rules, it is hold up four fingers. Yeah, <laughs> just walk them. 
Just walk them. Just no them one else on that that team can hit. And no offense, yesterday I, I did get a haircut, and my barber is also Delino DeShields' barber. Uh, so no offense to DeShields' son, uh, who plays for Cleveland and is maybe the worst center fielder uh, I've ever seen. Um but yeah, it's uh it's a ridiculous forecast to put the White Sox behind behind Cleveland. I really do believe that. Uh Minnesota's not unrealistic just because we made every wrong move uh during the offseason and they did okay. Uh so I I think it's certainly possible to end up behind Minnesota. I hope not, but because this is supposed to be our year, it's looking less and less like our year with every single thing that happens. Um, but yeah, there's some interesting things about these projections. One is just the sheer number of plate appearances that they're giving everybody. I mean, they're, they're acting like no one ever gets hurt anywhere, even though they claim to account for injuries. Um, but they've got so many White Sox getting 600 at bats, um, almost all of them getting over 500 at bats. It's a very, very strange projection in terms of who will be playing on what given day. Which is, which is where things do get. I, I don't think projections are scary. It's, as you've indicated from the 2005 and 2008, they're fun. They're a fun thing to talk about, a fun thing to look at. Um, they are necess- not necessarily any more accurate than Los uh, Las Vegas odds, which have the Sox of kind of even money for the division, because Las Vegas is not really set on what they believe will happen. It's set on what they believe people will bet right. will happen. They're just trying to get in the middle of the betting line, and there's going to be more betting for the White Sox normally uh, than for the other teams in the division because they're all much smaller markets. Um, you know, it's kind of like you having been born in the shadow of Rupp Arena and, and a great UK fan. Uh, Kentucky fan, you know that they all the line of Kentucky is always except this year, which is yeah. um, in, in any normal year, it's it's an out year. If if they really think Kentucky's going to win by six, they make it a spread ten because Kentucky's got such heavy betting on it that they're, they're trying to get into the middle. Same thing happens in baseball. It's a little a lot more confusing when you're dealing with thirty teams instead of two in one game. But it's still the same thing. They run the computers and they, they figure out and they work in the betting uh, weight uh, to go with it. Anyhow, yeah. So, so much for the Pakota. They, they have no faith in the hitters. Uh, the only uh, ops over 800 are Aloy and Jose. Uh, they see a lot of regression on the part of Tim Anderson. They saw a lot of regression, I think, on the part of Tim Anderson last year. And guess what? It didn't happen. I don't understand this, like, annual regression that people think Tim Anderson's going to go through. He's not old and he just seems to be getting more disciplined at the plate. And it's usually, I think they base it on batting average and balls in play, but his batting average and balls in play is good because he has become smart. Yeah. He's become a very smart hitter and he takes that outside pitch. He's not trying to pull it and, and grounding into a double play to the shortstop. He's taking it to right field and using that. And he's got great exit velocities. And, you know, I, I don't understand it either. It, could he have a bad year? Sure. Uh, yeah. it's, was he been a little higher batting average than would be called for the last couple of years? Yeah, but not 60 points higher. Um, Definitely not. I, I, and also, 
you know, he had this incredible year two years ago. Everyone was shocked, said it couldn't happen again. Then he came right out and did it again. So I, I don't understand this whole let's just insist Tim Anderson's going to suck now thing that a lot of the projection people do. I'm like, Tim, he's now he's just going to go out there and prove you all wrong again. I don't know why you all want to be proven wrong so much. Um, but I, I don't see Tim Anderson as a guy who, you know, you're talking about the best work ethic in all of baseball. <laughs> like that's, that's not a guy who regresses like that. And they also uh, give no love to Yuan Makata. And I think that's just plugging in numbers from 2020 that don't apply uh, yeah. simply because he's in, unless COVID recovery takes over a year. Um, and we don't know that yet. It could uh, just hasn't been around long enough to know that. Um, but it's doubtful. Uh, that he's yeah. he's obviously going to be a lot better than he was in 2020. Obviously, was suffering. Well, he is. He has spoken and said that he is worlds better than he was at the end of the 2020 season. So, I mean, you know, with COVID, it's it just exhausts you. It just exhausts you, and that can last for months. And the guy never got a chance to rest. So, and you'd see him. I mean, after he had that streak of triples, every time afterward, he'd be in the dugout, and it just. Yeah, I mean, he looked look like Cecil Fielder would look. I mean, legitimate trip. concern that he was going to pass out. Like, oh, yeah. it was bad. And, you know, like the Florida basketball player who did during a game, there are those myocarditis issues that can come up with it. And hopefully, uh, Yohan's going to be in the clear on stuff like that. But uh, it, it's no joke. I mean, the fact that he was playing Major League Baseball at all is a testament to how good he would have been healthy. I mean, it's, there is no doubt in my mind, Moncada bounces back. He is a beast. And you know, that last year did not live up to what he wanted it to be. These White Sox, they are energetic. They push each other. I mean, just the fact that Yuan was showing up every day because he knew that someone needed to play third base uh, is a testament to to how hard he's going to work to get out there and, and be even better. And I firmly believe he will achieve that. Meanwhile, the projections, um, as we were just talking about the batting, the pitching is what we'd all think. You got three nice starting pitchers. You got two slots where you really hope Ethan Katz is a miracle worker uh, and can produce two starters out of, Cease and Rodon and Lopez and Kopech. Uh, although most, I think, believe Kopech will be starting the season, at least in the minors, because it's been so yeah. long since he pitched. But to try to get two starters, at least one viable one out of Cease and Rodon and, and Lopez and go on from that. Um, more interesting, more scary to me than, than the, the uh, Dakota is, and I'm going to look this up here, punching on my phone to get his fan graphs. Right. Depth charts. Uh, they have against right-handed pitching, uh, Adam Engel playing left field and Aloy uh, DHing. Makes perfect sense. And incidentally, an outfield of Engel and Eaton with Robert in the middle, if, he, if uh, Eaton's foot is recovered so that he's back to being what he was a couple of years ago, that's an incredible outfield. Yeah, that's an and intense even, outfield. Even with Dylan Cease's average uh, 
opponent's exit velocity of 130 miles an hour or whatever it is, those guys are going to flag down an awful lot of balls. They, it would be nicer really to have a, a better cannon in right field at this point. Ingles, or Eaton's kind of aging out of the, a strong arm. But, you know, and if the ball is not actually changed, like they said, it doesn't really matter because <laughs> you're either catching it or it's a home run. And if the ball – but if the ball is uh, going to allow for a lot more doubles, I don't know that I trust Eaton's arm as a right field arm anymore. But again, it's it's almost irrelevant when you've got, you know, Robert and Engel covering the other two thirds of the outfield. That's the best pairing in all of baseball defensively. So what they've got, and this is not nonsense, this makes sense, is, is a lineup of Anderson, Eaton, Grandal, Abreu, Jimenez, Moncada, Robert, Engel, Madrigal against right-handers. The weakness there, of course, is you've got one left-handed hitter. Yeah. Two switch hitters, neither of which, unlike most switch hitters, is particularly good left-handed. They have, they have kind of even, even splits. Grandal, I always forget which side he's more powerful and which side he has for better average, but it's one or the other. And uh, um, want and um, very even. He's, he's not particularly good left-handed. But we're, that, that's fine. Nothing worrisome there. Nice lineup. Uh, good defensively too, all the way around. Then you get into the backups <laughs> that they think are going to be playing. It's not good. <laughs> Zach Collins catching, hitting a hefty one ninety something incidentally to make up for the fact he can't catch the damn ball. That's a high mark. <laughs> yeah, it may, it may be. Well, Colin, you know, Collins in eighty one innings gave up nine wild pitches, and I realize. Wild pitches are theoretically on the pitcher, but the way they score them is anything in the dirt is yeah. called a wild pitch. And you're supposed to block him. That's kind of your job. He's 26 years old. He's been catching probably since he was eight. He, he should get the hang of that by now. That's one wild pitch per game, one, one every nine innings. The, the major league average is 0. 0.3. <laughs> so more than three times as many wild pitches for Zach Collins than for the average major league catcher. The guy can't catch. Okay. Well, the rest of the- it also means he's not setting up correctly. You know, well, if but, that it, many it, balls are bouncing and getting past him, it means he, he's did not not, moving. he did not ask for the ball in the right place and then did not move to go get it. Uh, you know, they say that being, it's Jerry Naren they're bringing in. It's going to be this great coach to help out. He's had, he's had good coaches. He hasn't had, you know, sticks of yeah. butter out there coaching him for the last 20 years. People have been helping him get this right, and he hasn't gotten it right. Um they do not have Jonathan Lucroy in the major league roster, at least at the start of the season. They have him down at AAA. How the mighty have fallen from a guy who was probably the best catcher in baseball eight or nine years ago and not that old. And just, I think he went in one year from the best framer to the worst. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, he, he's a victim of the position, I think, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. No, catch, I think his catch, legs just, just started. Oh, he's back. He's got that, those fused. Uh, uh, old man, what are, what are those things in your spinal cord disc? Fuse discs in his back. Um, you know, just catchers. Yeah, I mean, he was he was an elite catcher for sure in Milwaukee, and that got him the bigger payday in Texas. And uh, unfortunately, I think it's just injury, and and you know, not many catchers really do. Um, I mean, we we know about Yachty and Pudge and those guys, but. That is the hardest position 
to stay fresh for 20 years. Oh, yeah. They say you, you, your thighs turn to lead in about three years. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's why Craig Biggio became a second baseman and then eventually center fielder was because they said, we want this guy in the lineup every day for a very long time, and he ain't going to be there if he stays as a catcher. No way. Um, no way. Yeah, I don't expect to see Lou Croy in the majors. And why Buster Posey plays first base, I don't know, 60 games a year now for San Francisco. Uh, but, okay, so Zach Collins, that's a disaster. Then uh, Danny Mendick, he did. Hey, Gold Glove okay. nominee. Gold Glove he, nominee. He, he, yeah, he did fine. Uh, then I think they, I think they expected to hit about 220 from here on out. But anyhow, it's not shameful. Uh, I Rayuri, actually think Mendick could hit a little higher for average this year. I, I think uh, 220 Le- is a little low. Leury, who has the great advantage that he can – play everywhere uh, and is a switch hitter, although he is actually better right-handed than left. Mm-hmm. And then they've got, as your next outfielder backup, Micker Adolfo. Great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, well, we'll go to the dregs down here and pick one in alphabetical order. <laughs> yeah, that is that well, I, is I read somewhere news. that he put on 20 pounds. Either he did it illegally or it's not good news. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a lot to put on. Yes, I mean, I'm glad he added some muscle, but muscle wasn't his problem. And then then you go down to, you know, and, and, and I'm then just scrolling through the starting pitch, and we talked about the release pitching should be terrific, unless there's a big fallback by the guys. Yeah. It's, a, it's very deep bullpen. Uh, boy, then you get down in the top minor league places, your next catcher, um, maybe uh, Luke Roy, um, but maybe Sevi Zavala, Yerman Mercedes. I mean, make <laughs> he, he, he he can make Collins look like Johnny Bench back there, um, but he could DH. In fairness, man, with that list of people, I'm sitting here thinking, like, wow, who do we even start in AAA? <laughs> Gavin Sheets. <laughs> Is is on there. Marco Hernandez is next on our shortstop list. Uh, uh, Tim Beckham they signed for some reason. I guess we always have to have a Beckham to laugh at. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's other than and of course Andrew Vaughn, uh, who they're predicting to come up about midseason. I would. That seems fair. I mean, it's, they're certainly going to keep him out for service time reasons at the beginning, but also he hasn't played above high A. Um, so to bring the throw him into major leagues right away might be just, yeah, I don't think we'll see Vaughn until the summer, but I do think we'll see him. So that scares me. The, the possibility, and they're going to be injuries. They're always going to be injuries. Always. And if, if they have injuries, like say the Yankees had last year, they could win 60 games. (laughs) It's, it's, there's no, depth and they didn't go out and get depth during this offseason um, and yes there's still uh, free agents out there but there are not many and the same thing on the on the pitching side there, there's enough depth I think in the bullpen that the inevitable bullpen injuries you know if Bummer gets hurt again that's that's sad but somebody else can pitch the eighth inning uh, but uh, for the starting pitchers Again, unless Ethan Katz is a miracle worker, which we all hope he is, uh, that's not pretty either. 
Yeah. But that's true of everybody. No, nobody has excess of starting pitchers. But a lot of teams have better backup outfielders and infielders and people in AAA that look like maybe they can come up and produce if they have to, uh, kind of thing. That's where it gets really scary. They've got to stay somehow, stay healthy all year, and and nobody does. But yeah, keep that to a minimum. I mean, the you know, you lose Tim Anderson to a serious injury that is going to completely change the outlook of the season because now all of a sudden you've got to find a shortstop and we know Mankata is not the guy. Madrigal's not the guy. And you got to find a shortstop that not only can play the position, Tim's not great defensively, but he's not outright bad anymore. And no, he's an average shortstop. And, and you've got to replace, you know, 320 batting average in the leadoff spot, which is just, so not realistic for us that the the season in a lot of ways lies on the shoulders of Tim Anderson. <laughs> it lies on the shoulders of Mankata. You know, if Mankata doesn't come back and produce. You know, really, if Vaughn isn't ready, if Jose gets hurt. Exactly. Yeah. Because what are you going to do? You're going to put Grandall at first so that Zach Collins is letting one out of every nine pitches go by? Like, you you can't do that. You can't do that. We are in such a terrible position in terms of injuries everywhere but the bullpen, which I get is a great place to feel the most comfortable. But my goodness, we just have no position players to back up. No position players. The depth is terrible. And, you know, you could also say, well, you could trade for depth. No, we can't because the only people we have worth we trading don't have any depth are to trade starters. For <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the 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 great uh, minor league system that we had just a few years ago. Everybody's in the majors now, right? Which except is Vaughn, great. and he's and he's he, he's a small step away. Um, so yeah, I mean it's it's. I don't know what they're going to do, but the fact that they did not spend at all this off season, with the exception of Hendricks' deal, which you know was one deal and not that crazy. Um, I, I don't know what they're going to do I, because they're not going to be able to really shop midseason. And if this season and next season don't come through, you're talking about being back to another rebuild. You're talking well, about. And remember, Lynn, Lynn is one year. Lynn's one year. You so, just got to hope that you can sign him. You got to hope that Dane Dunning sucks. I, I don't think that's going to happen, <laughs> but you, you got to hope that Cats somehow. Well, does yeah. something yeah. <laughs> so, so it brings these young guys up or of course you can actually go out in the market and spend money next year which we prove we don't like to do we definitely meanwhile on, on the happy side pitchers and catchers report yes baseball time it's baseball time i think i'm i'm considering trying to drive out to glendale if it looks like a safe uh situation to watch a game otherwise i think i'll i'll go to anaheim for the opening season yeah you get, uh, you opening, get opening day um if if fans are allowed for that uh we'll see i might have to buy a whole block of six tickets and enjoy <laughs> the game alone but with plenty of space uh which i'm cool with if it if it comes to that uh but yeah baseball is back football is gone um yeah it's, it's time it's time this is supposed to be the year i wish i was looking at this year like oh yeah this is it but I'm a little hesitant, so we'll just have to just have to see what happens, see how it goes this spring. Got any last thoughts? That was the last thought. 
That was his last thought. You heard it here. <laughs> we never have to hear another one again. Um, just kidding. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to Sharing Socks.